This is one of the truly great days of the year, isn't it? Where we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thought it would be appropriate to start with Matthew 28, 5 through 10. The angel said to the woman who was coming to visit at the tomb, Mary, and we know Mary was coming here. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they said, They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. <clears throat> the account, the documented account of Jesus resurrected from the dead, appearing to these two women. And the thing he says is, go and tell others. The angel says, go and tell. He is risen. He's not here. He is risen. This has been one of, this is the most controversial thing about Christianity. Many people will acknowledge Jesus Christ as a human being, as a prophet, as a well-known leader, and so forth. But where the rubber meets the road is that he died and he rose again three days later. He is the Son of God. He is the living Son of God. Not he lived, he lives. He lives currently. And he's alive. The main controversy about that, you can get people to talk and acknowledge Jesus Christ all the time. Anywhere. Oh yeah, he was a good guy. They'll read the Bible and say it's a good story. But when you say he's resurrected, he is risen, that's where the rubber meets the rose. And that's why we're supposed to share the good news, right? He is born as the Son of God. He lived a sin-free life. He gave his life for us, and then he rose again, demonstrating his power over death and hell and sin. And in him, we have that same power, the power of his resurrection. Amen? Now, naturally, this is the big event, the whole culminating part of Jesus' ministry on this earth. And he says, go and tell. But what happens in the next few verses? Matthew 28, 11 through 15. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported amongst the Jews to this day. Right away. Jesus says, go and tell. The angel says, go and tell. And they say, go and don't tell anyone what happened. In fact, lie about what happened. And these are the leaders, the Jews. 
the leaders of the of the people. Don't tell anyone. And this is a common thing that will happen throughout the early church. We see the apostles in in Acts experience the same thing. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. As they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. This is not the laying of hands to heal or to bless. This was the laying on of hands to hurt and pummel. They got beat up. They laid hands on them and put them in hold, in arrest, until the next day, for it was now even evening. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. So even in spite of all this, 5,000 men, it says here, they numbered the men, and believed what Peter and John were saying. But the priests, the leaders, were grieved, so much so that they laid hands on them, physically assaulting them and putting them in jail. Why? Because they preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. How do the disciples reply? How do they reply? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, because what they had done is, this is the silver and gold have I done, rise and walk in Jesus' name. And this guy is, everybody knew, notable miracle. They could not dispute it. Later on, we're going to see, well, the Sanhedrin says, well, everybody sees this guy and everybody knows who he is, so we can't do anything to Peter and John. So they end up getting let go because of the miracle that they did. But here's the account. Rulers of the people and elders, if we being examined today concerning a good deed done to this crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Their response is not to cower in fear. It's not to run and hide. It's not to pout and, and say, woe is us. It says, no, look at the good deed that we did in the name of Jesus Christ, who you crucified, by the way, who is now living. There's no other name in heaven that can do this. There is no other way by which men can be saved. And in the meantime, we won't read the whole account between verses 12 and verses 18. The priests talk to each other and they say, well, the whole crowd sees what happened. Everybody knows that he's risen. This, this guy is walking. He couldn't walk before. We have to let these guys go or the crowd is going to go nuts. So they let him go. And as they're letting them go, they give him these parting orders. Verse 18 through 20. So they called them, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John says, whether it's right or not, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you 
Rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Well, this message of the resurrection, there's a command to teach it, but there's also an active resistance against it. Why is that? Because the resurrection is where the enemy is defeated. Everybody dies, right? Except for two people, right? Everybody dies, but how many people are actually resurrected? All of the gods, lower G, that are out there, and the great men, so-called great men and women that other religions worship or admire, they all have one thing in common. They're all dead, right? They might have preached different styles, different things, but they're all dead. Only one has risen from the dead, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why his name is so powerful. That's why the resurrection and the message of resurrection power is so divisive, because he's the only one who can say that it's happened. And he has got the power over sin and hell and death, and no one else can say that. That's how important it is. Jesus told us himself, John 11, 22 through 27, this is the encounter of raising Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha send for Lazarus, or send for Jesus, and they say, our brother is sick. Our brother, your friend, is sick. Please come. And Jesus says, we'll wait for a little bit which is troubling, right? It's troubling to say, why did he wait? He could have just healed him. But this whole encounter is to demonstrate the message that Jesus gives to Mary and Martha. Even now, verses 22 through 27, like, why did you wait? He's dead now. There's no point in you coming. <clears throat> but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she says, of course, I know he's going to rise again. And the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, asks her, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in this world. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. He has power over sin and death. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. That's why this message is so controversial. Because we offer something, he offers something that no one else can offer. No one. You will live forever in eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul does it as only Paul can with many, many words and many, many complicated words and sentences and paragraphs. But it summarizes it very, very briefly. You can read the whole chapter, but it says, now I remind you, brethren, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, I preached of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, 
unless you believed in vain. See, Paul was so blunt when he preached, it was almost like, how do people not get offended with him the way that he talked? Because I remind you of the gospel that you've heard, that I've preached you, unless you're just believing it in vain. And then he goes into into it. If you hold fast to the word I preached you, for I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive. So he's writing them and saying, those 500 people, you can go talk to them. They're still alive. They saw him. He appeared to Peter. And then he says, he appeared to me and James and the apostles. We've seen him with our own eyes. This is the truth. This is what he's telling people. Because the, the, the conspiracy going all the way back to the tomb, when the Jews, the Jewish leaders were saying, tell people that the apostles stole his body. That spread. That was real. And Jesus and Paul and the apostles and so forth were saying, no, no, we saw him with our own eyes. He's alive. He's alive. And they were, they were constantly having to share this message. No, we saw him. And they were writing it down. We saw him with our own eyes. He is alive. He is alive. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, verses 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 14, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? See, there was also a, a conflicting doctrine, going, th- conflicting belief going through the church and going through the areas surrounding Jerusalem and so forth, that there was no resurrection from the dead. Once you're dead, you're just dead. And... If you believed in a resurrection, it was it was thought to be a false uh, doctrine and so forth. But then they, so Paul, again, very bluntly, if Christ is resurrected, how can you then not believe in the resurrection? Because he's either resurrected or he's not. Resurrection is either true or it's not. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So he's putting them on the spot. He said, okay, this thing, this concept of resurrection, it's either true or it isn't. And if it's not true, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ isn't risen, everything he said is a lie and everything you believe is in vain. And he just lays it out so logically. The resurrection is true. But in fact, verse 20, verse 20 through 22 of 1 Corinthians, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of all those who fell asleep. For as by man death has come also, for for as by a man came death, but uh, by a man has also come the resurrection. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. It all comes down to that. Adam brought sin into the world, Christ brings redemption into the world. Through Christ, all can live. That's why he said, I am the resurrection and the life. You believe in me, you will live. Adam brought sin into the world, and the only way to get rid of that was through the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. 
I love that thought. I love that thought that in him we live, in him we move, in him we breathe and have our being. We believe in him and we shall live. It's a great thought knowing you're going to live forever, right? When you know you're going to heaven, right? You know living forever sounds great. Which is why people don't want to acknowledge the resurrection because if they're sinning and there's a resurrection and they go to hell, then acknowledging and saying that you're going to live forever in hell doesn't sound so appetizing. So it's much easier to say, I'm just going to become worm food. I'm just going to become dust and I'll just cease to exist. So there's no consequences for how I'm living and everything else. But for us, we have that living hope, which is what we're going to talk about in just a second. But the power that comes from his resurrection, Philippians 3, 10 through 11, Paul says that I might know him, know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death and so forth, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He says, I want to know him. And I've preached a message on this. I believe it was even last Easter. Knowing him, knowing the power of his resurrection, experiencing, that word know means knowledge through experience. It's not just head knowledge or memorization of facts. It's in your very core. It's in your being. I know him. I know what he's like. I know his attributes, his characteristics. And knowing the power of his resurrection, that word power comes from a Greek word called dunamis, which we get dynamite, which is explosive, supernatural power. The Lord was raised from the dead through dunamis, explosive, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Paul prayed that the Ephesian church would know the exceeding greatness of his explosive, creative, supernatural power. In Ephesians 1, he says that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power according to the working of his mighty power, which all comes through Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead. Knowing the power of his resurrection is having the Holy Spirit in you and working through you. It's available to us through Christ. Amen. Paul says in Romans 8, 11, if that same spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. This is for all of us. This is for the church. This is for you. I was waking up this morning. I had to do some baseball games yesterday, a couple more than one, which, uh, and I woke up this morning and my mortal body felt like it could use some quickening. I'll tell you. <laughs> and then even standing up here rehearsing before service, I was like, oh, man, my back is a little sore. I could use a little quickening in my mortal body, right? But it's not just that, although that is part of it. <clears throat> it's that life springing forth from us. What he, what he told the woman at the well, out of you will flow waters of living, living waters, waters of life, just flowing out of you. We might feel older and decrepit, but having that Holy Spirit alive within us, right? Supernatural power. We, we saw a taste of it in the early church, and I believe we're going to see more of it as we go through 
Now, I don't expect any of us to be doing cartwheels out the door, so don't even try, because I don't want to take anybody to the hospital this afternoon. But have that quickening, saying, Lord, quicken. Quicken my mortal body. It's not just for getting through the day, but quicken me. Lord, let your life-giving power come and quicken me. Quicken this mortal body so I can serve you better, so I can serve you more, so I can know the power of your resurrection. Amen? This is our, as Peter calls it, our living hope for the future. 1 Peter 1, 3 verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. All through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where the victory was won. That is our living hope our living, lively hope. Christ rose from the dead, which means he has power over everything. He can quicken us, begotten us again. This is our spiritual rebirth. We were dead in sin. We were all dead in sin. And then he quick begot us again, brought us in. When we, had, when we were in sin, we had no hope. There's no hope. And I can't imagine living in a world without hope. I don't know how people do it, right? It's, it's terrifying. It's a terrifying thought to have no hope for eternal life, right? But we have that hope. We have that living hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ as, because he has that proven power over sin and death. We can go to him for anything. Lord, quicken me. Quicken me. Quicken us. Amen. Quicken all of us. This is our confidence. This is what we rest our entire belief on. Everything we have, everything we believe is based on the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And it can, and the power that comes with that, the belief that comes with that, the hope. That comes with that. We serve a God who's alive. He's not dead. There's no tomb. We don't have to go to a city to look at his, at, at his sarcophagus or whatever. We can talk to him. We can walk with him. We can hear his voice. If we're lucky enough, we can even see his face if, we're, if we have that opportunity. But on this earth, but when we get to eternity, we can see his face and hear him. And he walks with me. He talks with me along my stairway. Right? He lives, he lives. We were going to sing that this morning, but it was way too hard to play on the guitar. <laughs> too many chords. <laughs> he lives, he lives. He walks with me. He talks with me. We serve a risen Savior. That's our confidence. And even Job, I, I re remember these words so vividly. Even Job had a sense of this in the Old Testament. And we can pray these words when we get down or we start to struggle, think of these words from Job 19. He says, For I know my Redeemer lives, 
and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh will I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and no other. My heart faints within me. Even in the midst of his trial and the difficulty that he's going through, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And whatever happens to this body, I know in my flesh I will see him. Because he had a sense for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And there have been so many times when we go through struggles in life or when I go through struggles, you can become depressed. You can get a little downtrodden. You can get the blues, if you will. But you can say, I know I serve a risen Savior. I serve a God who's alive. I serve one with the power over sin and death and whatever else is troubling me at this moment. And we can say, Lord, quicken me today. Quicken me through that power so I can be make it through whatever I'm making it through. You need a quickening, right? Amen? God bless you. I trust that this word was a blessing to you. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you, first of all, for giving your son for us, sending him to this earth that we could live. Lord Jesus, we thank you for offering yourself as a sacrifice and for your resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe you, Lord. We believe that all of these words are true. We believe that we serve a risen Savior, and we're so thankful for your resurrection power. And Lord, we just ask that you would quicken us all afresh this morning. Maybe it's a quickening in our mortal body. Maybe it's a quickening in our spirit. Maybe it's a quickening in other aspects of our lives. But Lord, that dunamis power, there's no limits to it. It's supernatural. It's creative. It's inspirational power. And Lord, we ask that you would quicken us through that power afresh this morning, we pray. Lord, let your, let your light be seen through us as we go every, wherever we go. And as, as we are quickened with a new life, Lord, we let others be witnessed too as, as we demonstrate what you have done in our lives to others, Lord. We thank you. Lord, we bless you. And we ask again that you would be in the convention this week. Lord, let your presence be known there in a very powerful and tangible way. Those who are coming for encouragement, let them be encouraged and edified. Those who are coming to know more of you, Lord, grant them that knowledge of you. And Lord, just be with our, our leaders, Pastor Daniel and Sarah, as they're away. Lord, quicken them afresh. Give them uh, energy to make it through the week. It's always a stressful week to make it through convention. Lord, we just ask that you would be with our leadership of the board as well. And Lord, and the messages that you're going to bring forth for our fellowship, Lord, we look forward to hearing them and seeing what you're going to do this week. We ask that you would bless us as we go our separate ways. And just be with us all and protect us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.